0: live ish awesome and um, I'm gonna put the this here and we'll have to put the crunchy chips here perfect and we'll make sure we crunch really loud
1: crunch really loud and make sure the ice in your drink clinks loudly Clinks
0: to loudly too and then
1: we go <laughs> correct
0: and no belching no belching that's off limits so we had a fun adventure for a week
1: traveled across the nation learned a lot of things
0: Learned a lot of things. <laughs> we learned a lot of things traveling across the nation.
1: And, you know, we learned a lot of things that most people really aren't going to give a shit about, like, you know, presidential TFRs <laughs> and how they affect, you know, your routing when you're on an IFR flight plan stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. general public really doesn't care about doesn't that. Probably
0: doesn't care about that.
1: But all that said, you know, getting routed around the TFR and dealing with that bullshit... It was really not as difficult as I anticipated it would be.
0: No, it was very simple. It was, it was just very like, simple. just just go around. But you know what else is kind of cool about that, though, is a lot of people don't realize that you can, you know, you, aviators know where the president is always mm-hmm. because of that TFR. A lot of people don't realize that. Right. It seems like it's so, oh, so hush hush unless it's on the news. But in the aviation world, you're all the same. Matter of fact, that YouTuber that we watched, you know, whether you're an F-18, as we experienced in Palm Springs... Or, you know, a Cessna 150, you're given the exact same response from air traffic control. Like, you're all treated the same. Exactly. Which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, what's interesting is, um, as aviators, if we bust a VIP slash presidential TFR, temporary flight restricted area, we are fucked. My English. Totally. We're totally screwed. It's a six-month vacation on the beach. <laughs> the FA, boom. They yank your ticket for six months, no questions asked. Gonzo.
0: They don't want you flying in and out of there. Although we did learn that Mar-a-Lago, because of Trump and because past presidents always have standing TFRs, um, has its own whole thing so that people that live in Mar-a-Lago can actually still fly in and out. Correct. You can squawk a certain code and all this stuff. I mean... We learned a lot. I don't know how many of your IFR students actually get like 17, it was more like 20 hours out of 35 hours of straight IMC. It was a lot. I and mean, we were in the shit. Jumbo liners were canceling the flights. They were canceling flights right and left, and we we're in it. But we were kind of dodging it and doing all the things and requested different altitudes. That was so badass.
1: Totally badass. So we
0: needed to kill 40 hours for my instrument rating. So we're like, Let's go somewhere that's got good food and sunshine.
1: We went to Louisiana.
0: We went to Louisiana (laughs) where we have some really great friends. God, we laughed our asses off. (laughs) We took a day off of flying to do nothing but eat. Literally every hour and a half, we went to a different restaurant. They literally did tour de la Louisiana. (laughs) Uh We got the Boudin, we got the got How do they say it? I'm probably chopping it bad.
1: We got the po' boys. The, we po got the boys. Jambalaya.
0: We, oh God, shrimp and grits.
1: Shrimp and grits.
0: Gator. We had a gator.
1: Yeah, gator they took nuggets. us to the swamp. We went to the swamp. We got to
0: see a gator and a beaver-looking thing, beaver rat thing.
1: Uh, a nutria.
0: A nutria.
1: It's like it looks like a huge, uh, uh, huge muskrat.
0: As we were on our way through the swamp, my mom made the comment that uh what was really interesting she said this is god's septic tank she made that comment i remember thinking that's a real interesting thing and and how many times did we cross over the mississippi when we uh were flying in i mean that thing is like a snake it just
1: And yeah, we crossed the mississippi several times on the way in Uh huh. Um, this little airport between uh Bat- baton rogue Bat- <laughs> baton rogue baton rouge and new orleans Um.
0: But so mom made the comment that it was, it was God's septic tank. And what's really interesting is while we were out of this swamp area, we learned about something. Well, you knew about it, but I had not known. And I'm surprised I did not know seeing as how I've done a lot of work in the LNG industry, liquid natural gas industry. But there are these things called salt domes. Some of them are thousands of feet deep into the earth. Thick salt, they they scoot, and, and the salt is pushed upwards in between layers of sediment, we learned. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but what's interesting is they shoot, shoot out the salt with water, and then they fill them with things like petroleum and liquid natural gas and all these different...
1: Different chemicals. All and,
0: sorts of different things. I mean, really, and, they use it as a storage, like yeah, a holding s- tank.
1: And some of these domes can be uh, five miles across. These are freaking massive, huge caverns in the earth that... Nobody gives a second thought. You know, we we hear a lot about like the National Petroleum Reserve. Most of the National Petroleum Reserve is stored in these salt domes in Louisiana. Yep. And now we have uh, uh, a feeble-minded POTUS. POTUS. Sitting in the White House that has sold most of our National Petroleum Reserve to who? That Chinese government.
0: Right. (laughs) But what's really interesting is as we're talking about... These salt domes, as we're researching them, that, I, I, that, that has all the cream cheese. I wanted that one because of all the cream cheese. Walter, go lay down. God, it cannot be a podcast episode without Walter clacking around, I swear. Walter, right. good boy. So um, we lo- we were talking about it, and I'm like, well, what is salt? Salt is a purifier. It's a filter. If you think about hot tubs and pools and everything,
1: Everything is built up with salt.
0: Saline, I mean salt. That's what it is. And so I was thinking about how mom says, you know, that you know, the swamp is God's septic system. And then I'm thinking about how ironic is it that there are all these salt domes, literally, you know, five hundred feet under the topsoil, or less in some cases, mm-hmm. where these swamps are.
1: And all that water, like all the water <sighs> in the Mississippi River. It's filtered through those bios, bayous, through those salt domes.
0: It's literally filtered. It's and literally it's not just a Louisiana. filtration system.
1: Yeah, but it's, you know, Louisiana has them. Texas has them. You know, they're all along the Gulf Coast.
0: Other countries have other them. Countries Iran have has them. a really big one. But then the thing is, is that we hijacked them and filled them with other shit. So now they don't filter. Right. Now the salt isn't there to filter. It isn't there to do its job. No wonder Hurricane Katrina comes through and the place smells like a damn toilet for the next however many years because we obliterated all the salt that was there to purify. I mean, I don't know. We're projecting. I'm projecting this. But to me, it makes sense.
1: Totally. And, you know, I think, um you know, like those salt domes, you know, Just reading about them a little bit, you know, they're, um, to use the term that they use in one of the articles, right? They're, they're impenetrable. They're like, they're safe to put stuff in, you know?
0: But if you wanted to, if you wanted to be a terrorist, that would be what you'd target. Yeah. Think about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not giving any ideas to psychopaths out there, but I guess, you know, but I think what's really weird is the fact that we think we're doing so good on, you know, we're um, protecting nature, climate change, all the things. Really, we're fucking up everything we touch. Damn
1: near.-hmm.
0: I mean, look at those windmills out across. What, are the, what is the purpose of those things? What do they serve? I mean, do they really actually produce any energy for this landmass that they take up? And the second part of that is and this will tie into the conversation about the projects the ghettos, thugs, etc. You know, we say, oh, you know, that that everybody um, you know, everybody is 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 hurting for real estate and this and that and whatever. But the truth of the matter is our the global elites, our government strategically stuck people in high-rise cities where they have no other they're all trapped in there together. But truly, if you fly across the United States, there is plenty of space for everybody to have an acre of property. Every family in the entire United States could have probably, I'm i am just tossing a number out there, but probably an acre of land. At least. There is so much open space. I mean, we act like, you know, everybody is... Um, Stuck and homeless and all these various things, but that's that's a creation of our own government. Our own government created that environment by things like the projects, and this is what we were ultimately going to get to. As you know, we made a call. We wanted to go to Louisiana for good food. We wanted to go for jambalaya. We had friends that lived in Gonzales, halfway in between the two major cities. And as we're sitting in Amarillo the night before, we made that last long trek. We see on the news that there were 10 shootings in a single night, murders, deaths, in New Orleans that day. Right. Which was two days after Christmas. And so we say, well, maybe we don't need to go to New Orleans for good food. We'll just, you know, get the flair and the flavor from where, you know, our friends live. Right. And I hadn't been to New Orleans since Hurricane Katrina had hit, a few months after Hurricane Katrina had hit. And... The thing is, is when we think about these places where there's just this immense crime and we look back on historically what has happened, the government slash global elites, they, we call them on this podcast, intentionally created these environments where it would proliferate. like They were all put together rather than allowing them to... The idea was... Oh, we'll create the projects for them and they can all live together and then they can um, you know, be with their own and have, you know, growth and prosperity and the best chance of success. Truth of the matter is, and I see this a lot when we have these schools, right, that are for troubled youth. What do we do with the troubled youth? We segregate them. Yep. And don't allow them to be with the other students. And we say that's to help them out so that they're with the other troubled youth. Right. Right. So with the other dunce caps, so that they don't have to feel stupid with the general populace. Right. It's exactly what we did with the projects. We, mm-hmm. we built a holding tank and said, all oh, you have to stay there. When The reason that that was really created was because the rich white global elites did not want to actually deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so they put it over to the side where they wouldn't have to. And it allowed the victim mentality to continue. Correct. Whereby, if we had actually just put them out with everybody, commingled with everyone, the survival of the Finnish Darwinism, if you will, would rise. And hey, you know, (laughs) the strong survive and the weak don't. But instead, we play these games and we still play these games where we try to baby everybody and put everybody together. What does it do? It worsens the victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And Um, then it creates a subculture within that of hierarchy.
1: Right. I mean, it's awful. It's awful. It's terrible. You know, I, I flew up in Alaska for 20 years. And, you know, every native village in Alaska is a ghetto. Every Indian reservation in the United States of America is a ghetto. The difference is, you know, and like, you know, in the huge ghettos in the cities, it's all the same. You've been to, if you've been to one, you know, if you've been to one native Alaska village, you've been to all of them. Mm -hmm. If you've been to one Indian reservation, you've been to all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've been to one ghetto, whether it's in Boston, New York city, New Orleans, Chicago, you've been to every single ghetto in the country. And so, you know, what has happened is, you know, people love free shit. You know, you get, uh, you know, elected representatives go to the, you know, the reservations, they go to the villages, they go to ghettos, and they promise people free shit, free handouts for this, free handouts for that, free health care, free education. But
0: what has given people shit free ever done except create an entitled lazy mentality?
1: Exactly. So... What that does is... I'm talking is, even with teenagers. Even with teenagers. Across the board. You know, if you're handed everything in life and you don't have to work for it, you have no reason to get up and, and, and do anything in the morning. Nor so what do, do you, you do?
0: appreciate, maintain, or respect anything you have. You let it go to shit.
1: And, you know, this is one of the things that I had trouble with, you know, when I was working up in Alaska is, you know, I look around at the stuff that's going on and, you know, these people have a false self, false sense of pride in their communities. They're proud of where they live. Dude, you live in a freaking shithole. Open your eyes. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, get a job. Do something with your life.
0: They don't have any jobs?
1: No, really. it's the complete welfare state. It's, you know, you look at any, any ghetto, any reservation, any Alaska village out there. This is what socialism is. It's free shit. Don't have to get out. Of, there's no, if you have, don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, you lay around, you sleep halfway through the day, you, uh, abuse drugs, you use alcohol, you know, sex is a recreational sport. The more babies you make, the more money you get. There's no reason to, uh, you know, not have more children because the more kids you grind out, the bigger your fucking paycheck is every month. It's stupid. And then now you've got more kids living in the same squalor that you're living in. And what's interesting is these people don't realize how bad they have it. If the money, if the government shut the money off, there's no more money. And they had to go out and actually work for a living. They'd piss and moan and bitch about it. They'd have a friggin' shit fit. Their heads would explode.
0: But that's, but that's the thing. But
1: at the end of the day, they'd have to do something to survive. If you have to actually do something to survive, then all of a sudden, well, shit, the house I live in is actually worth something. I have to pay to maintain it. I need to take pride in my home if I want it to look nice. Right now, it's a shithole. You know, there's holes punched in the walls, the fucking windows are broken out. My house is no good. I'm gonna just, you know, fill out this piece of paperwork and they'll build me a new house. I'll just move my fucking shit from one shithole into another brand new house in six months. My new house looks just like the old one. But this it doesn't, is like it's not worth anything. You give
0: a teenager a laptop, teenager has no value of what the laptop is worth. Teenager didn't have to work for the laptop. Teenager doesn't take care of the laptop because teenager thinks laptops just keep coming
1: off trees. Right. Through the front door. Teenager needs a job to pay for the next broken laptop.
0: For certain, <laughs> so that there's appreciation and value and understanding of what All of that is, but I mean, I think that's the point is that this ties into, you know, I hate to say it, but Darwinism, it's like, you know, if you are constantly, it's like feeding the ducks at the pond, right? You feed the little ducks at the pond, the morsels of bread and they say, don't feed the ducks. Well, don't feed the ducks because the ducks don't learn how to survive. The ducks don't learn how to work for it. So the ducks become weaker and weaker and weaker and the weaker ducks continue to proliferate. And then pretty soon you've got a pond full of ducks that don't know how to survive unless they're handed out food from the locals or whatever, the visitors. And this is the same situation and same scenario here. And then you try to take those ducks and put them out in regular functioning society, and just, they have to work either a hundred times harder to figure shit out and survive, or they die. Right. But you know what's funny is today we almost went to the Indian casino. For a drink and i just decided it was just going to be too much noise and things i can't handle it smoke and whatever i just not my not my bag but you told me something interesting which is that they make more in the first two are you taking salami with cream cheese and pepperoncini and dunking it in queso
1: you want to try it no
0: i don't is it good
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh wow But but they make more in two months. They make enough in two, the first two months of the year to pay for the entire year. The entire year. And yet we're looking at doing retribution and shit. But you know what's funny? These are the savviest of the subculture.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's the savviest of the subculture. Because remember, we took the subculture, we took the culture, we segregated them over here, and then they hierarchied
1: well, yes and no. Okay. It's not the native corporations or the native tribes that build the casinos and run them. There's professional casino organizations, Haraz. Um There's another one that...
0: Who are they owned by?
1: The Mafia.
0: No shit. Italian?
1: Yeah. No kidding. Mafia runs everything. Anyway. We need
0: to have that conversation <laughs> and we have to talk about UFOs.
1: <laughs> so, but, you know, there's... there's you know, professional casino organizations that'll go to a tribe and say, Hey, we want to build a casino on your land, we'll give you ten percent. They've got nothing to lose. They get a big check every month, they lease the land from the native tribe, they give the native tribe a stipend, but the the casino company, they take the cream. The tribe gets the leftovers. The tribe doesn't realize that all they're getting is the fucking leftovers. So when you go to a restaurant and you get a really good meal but you don't finish it and that leftovers that goes to the fucking dumpster, mm-hmm. that's what the native tribes get is the fucking leftovers that go to the dumpster. Really? The fine dining, the stuff that the, the, the big people want, the casinos want, the big, the big time operators want, they take that off the top and they fucking go fat, dumb, and happy.
0: No oh, shit. The natives
1: get the leftovers. They so just, see,
0: here's just another example then of how
1: it's structured. Here's another example of the ghetto mentality. Yeah, they get, you know, every, every native in this particular tribe gets maybe $500 more a month. They think they've struck the fucking gold mine. They think they got, they're striking it rich. They're not striking it rich. They're just perpetuating what's already going on, which is they're allowing somebody else with deeper pockets, a bigger vision, better management skills. They keep the natives drunk, drugged out, grinding out babies on welfare Yeah, they drive jacked up trucks. Yeah, they get a few hundred extra bucks in their pocket every month. But that's not getting them ahead. It's keeping them where they... And
0: and what value and quality of life do you really have like that? There's no value or quality of that at all. I know for me, when I'm working hard and I'm checking off a list and I'm accomplishing things that I'm setting for myself in life, I feel a sense of purpose, direction, happiness, hope. I mean, all these, all these mental, like, you know, attributions that come from all of this work that you do. These people don't get to experience that.
1: They don't. And, um, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. I see it. I watch it. I observe it. But it's like, you know, what value does that life really have?
0: Well, and what they show on TV with Alaska is, you know, the wilderness men who are sustaining and surviving on
1: the. It's a crock of shit. It's made for TV. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist.
0: No, I don't. I mean, I think there probably are a handful of those rarities. I mean, I've you know been in Alaska quite a bit myself and have seen the the slums. Really, I mean, it's very. It's all ghetto. I mean, the wanigans that are literally trailers with these. I mean, it looks like full meth compounds in some places and stuff. I it mean, is. It is just not what people think the great Alaskan wilderness really is in a lot of places or the majority of places. Um, but to, to tie back into this, um, this idea, you know, one of the things I had mentioned to you that I spent a lot of time in my twenties, um, in the NFL world, uh, living in San Diego, I had a lot of friends that played in the NFL and, Um, hearing their individual stories about their lives and how they got there. And some of them came from money and went to, you know, high end universities and and made their way to the NFL. But the majority of them are from ghetto towns where football was life. And if they did not succeed in football, they were going to wind up in a gang. I mean, this is the truth of the matter. And, and it's sad to think about that because, you know, we were listening to some Tupac earlier And it's like, you know, on some level, you know, that the oppression that they experience is a creation of, of the global elites and it's intentional. And it's almost like this drama unfolding in this world where we're constantly trying to assist. But the truth of the matter is, is like, if you literally dispersed and obliterated and bombed the town. I mean, bomb the projects, just nuke it out of the earth. And all those people had to go mingle in society. Suddenly you don't get to be in a fucking gang because your neighbor's going to work eight to five, doing whatever they're doing with their plumbing job or whatever. And you're going to be hard pressed to find someone else that wants to hang out in your gang because they got to make their rent. And so then the natural Darwinism of things would unfold. Either you step the fuck up or you step the fuck out. That's it. There's two options, up or out.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: But um, it's... In, in
1: the real world, you know, there is no room for gangs or ghetto or bullshit.
0: There's no room for that. People should be busy trying to figure out where their next meal is coming from, in from the sense of, like, hunting, gathering preparing. <laughs>
1: like, exactly. You know?
0: I mean, if this is something my mom and I were talking about when we were out in New Orleans is that, you know, or in Louisiana, uh, at one point Trump had said, why are we giving everybody debit cards? We should be giving them boxes of produce with meat and things in it where they have to actually learn a skill, which is cooking, not drive uh-huh. through the McDonald's, not pick up your, you know, whatever you're getting from the PX and doing, that kind of shit, the frozen goods or whatever. Give them food boxes. Give them food boxes to learn a skill. Exactly. How to cook, how to survive, how to eat. I mean, I really think that they do experience what we believe they experience, but I believe they experience it because it's intentional from our global elite system. It's totally intentional. I mean, you look at, you look at even the school districts. I mean, this is a shit show look at the school districts. I actually read a book on this. It is freaking fascinating. I think it was called dumbing us down was the, was the book I read on, on the kind of indoctrination camp. They set the lines literally for the school districts on the line of wealth in each state. There is no fucking chance that a little black boy from the projects is going to go to school with the wealthy rich man's kid, even if it is two blocks over that, that high-end neighborhood with that big fucking fence is, they make damn sure your kid's going to stay in the projects.
1: Absolutely. The little black
0: boy or whatever it is, is going to stay in the projects. And I'm not saying this to sound, you know, like there's this, um, race agenda or anything like that. I could give a fuck what color people are. It does not matter to me. But when you start to really strip it down and just look at a map, Just plot it out from the top down. Like look at it from the aerial high level and look at the way things were structured and set out. Look at – overlay the school districts Mm -hmm. on the wealthiest communities in states like Illinois, where Chicago is, and New York, and Louisiana, and all these things. California. It becomes fucking evident real fast. Yeah. You know, somebody from Pacific Heights in San Francisco is children – are not going to the poor district school.
1: Absolutely not.
0: Period. You know, and we say, oh, well, we need to help them. We need to help them. We need to, how we need to fucking help them is by truly getting rid of segregation. I'm not talking fucking Martin Luther King shit. I'm talking obliterate the fucking projects, put them all in society. Give them their first year.
1: They want, they want everybody wants to be fucking treated equal.
0: That would be equal. Make it equal. That would be equal. And the thing is, is like, I don't have the experience of driving down a street as a a black man where I'm fearful that I'm going to get shot. Right? Like, I don't have that experience. I don't have fear of of being afraid of the white cop that's going to beat me down. or I don't have any of that. I also think that that has gotten a really bad fucking rap. I mean, a really bad rap. I think there are really good white cops out there. I think there are really good black cops out there. I think that's just a game. The whole color race agenda is a game. But I can say, you know, my parents made strategic decisions, and we talked about it a little bit last podcast, to put us into a situation where we were living very rural, very rudimentary. I did not have shit. I did not have shit. So I feel like I didn't even have a pot to piss in. I did not have a flushing toilet. There are people in the projects that had more than I did. You know what I'm saying? Like they could flush their fucking toilet. I could not do that. And so I feel like I do have some perspective on this that isn't just like the, oh, I am white privileged. Do I feel that I have worked my ass off and that I probably... Was able to work my ass off easier maybe than some people that were segregated into these projects? Yeah, probably so. I do think that is the thing. But it's not my fucking fault, first of all. Is it my problem? I don't know. I don't know what my obligation to the system is because I know I had to work my own way out of my own shit.
1: You know, I don't think um, any of us are, are obligated to anybody's system. You know, if you work your ass off, you start your own company, or even if you go to work for, you know, Jimmy Bob's plumbing service and you're become a good plumber and you get paid good money. You know, if you've got a good skill set, you've educated yourself, you've taken the time to, you know, uh, pull yourself up, you don't owe anybody shit.
0: So I will say I had Mel Pender on this podcast. He's an Olympian black guy from the projects. And he, this was quite a few episodes ago, maybe, I don't know, 30 episodes ago or something. He talked about how, you know, he goes out and he speaks now to these kids in these schools and things like that. And he tells them, no, one's going to help you quit looking for that handout. Also, no, one's going to hurt you. Quit thinking you're a victim, knock that shit off and start living your life what do you want? What do you want to achieve? Go back and listen to the podcast episode. It's so good. I mean, he really talks about it from his true life perspective. I mean, he had, you know, the granddaddy that walked to the, um, to the, uh, what was it? He, I think he was from Detroit or something, but he had the granddaddy that walked to the, 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 what do they make? The cars, the, the factory, the factory, you know, five miles in the morning left, you know, an hour and a half early to make it there and got there on time and never was da- a day late in his life and all that shit and created a life for them, you know, right. and, and we've talked about this before too. And I see this a lot and we're talking about this raising boys right now is that, you know, uh, a difficult world makes strong men an easy world makes weak men and what we're seeing right now is this generation no no harm no foul on you or me but we're seeing this generation of boys in particular and women and, and i'll say girls who are freaking loose ass moral walking around half fucking naked thinking sex is the answer to get what they want in life being gold diggers quote unquote is like the cool thing And we've got this generation of boys that is lazy as fuck, entitled as fuck, does not say please and thank you, does not know how to do a damn thing. You ask them to take out the trash they look at you like you just asked them to kill the fucking dog. It's like, excuse me, what? Uh, They either play stupid like they don't fucking hear you or they get pissed off. It's like at that age, I had three fucking jobs. Legitimately. Uh I mean, what the fuck is happening? This is like... The complete breakdown of our society, and then you go over to China, right? And China is shipping people over here to learn how to fly. They're learning how to fly military style. I mean, I'm talking full blown, multi engine, badass shit. Like they're they're teaching their people true skills. What are we teaching our kids? How to fucking watch TikTok videos on how to prank your parents? Yeah, we are so- dumbing down. The next generation, doomed. God, I mean, literally, (laughs) like when one of our boys, when we ask them to do something, look at me like (sighs) I literally want to say, "Wake up, okay? You are going to be a man per the government in however many years, right?" Like my dad was just telling me, his dad used to drop him off at the gas station that my uncle owned to work, crank on cars on his way to work. Dad cranked on the cars and he got picked up on my grandpa's way home. That was his life at 15 or 14 years old, you know? And now it's like they don't even think about having to get a job until they're, what, 22? Because, you know, they can be on their parents' insurance until then. We're live-ish. Awesome. And um, I'm going to put the this here. And we'll have to put the crunchy chips here. Perfect. And we'll make sure we crunch really
1: loud. Crunch really loud. And make sure the ice in your drink clinks loudly, clinks too. Clinks
0: loudly, too. And then we
1: go. <laughs> Correct.
0: And no belching.
1: No belching. That's off limits.
0: So we had a fun adventure for a week. Traveled across the nation.
1: Learned a lot of things.
0: Learned a lot of things. (laughs) We learned a lot of things traveling across the nation.
1: And, you know, we learned a lot of things that most people really aren't going to give a shit about. Like, you know, presidential TFRs (laughs) and how they affect, you know, your routing when you're on an IFR flight plan. Stuff like that. Right, right, right. General public really doesn't care about that. Probably
0: doesn't care about that.
1: But all that said, you know, getting routed around the TFR and dealing with that bullshit... But was really not as difficult as anticipated it would be.
0: No, it was very simple. It was, it was very like, simple. Just go around. But you know what else is kind of cool about that though is a lot of people don't realize that you can. You know, you, aviators know where the president is always mm-hmm. because of that TFR. A lot of people don't realize that. Right. It seems like it's oh, so so hush hush unless it's on the news. But in the aviation world, you're all the same. Matter of fact, that YouTuber that we watched, you know, whether you're an F-18 as we experienced in Palm Springs. Or, you know, a Cessna 150, you're given the exact same response from air traffic control. Like, you're all treated the same. Exactly. Which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, what's interesting is, um, as aviators, if we bust a VIP slash presidential TFR, temporary flight restricted area, we are fucked. Pardon my English. Totally. We're totally screwed. It's a six-month vacation on the beach. okay <laughs> the boom. They yank your ticket for six months, no questions asked. Gonzo.
0: They don't want you flying in and out of there. Although we did learn that Mar-a-Lago, because of Trump and because past presidents always have standing TFRs, um, has its own whole thing so that people that live in Mar-a-Lago can actually still fly in and out. Correct. You can squawk a certain code and all this stuff. I mean... We learned a lot. I don't know how many of your IFR students actually get like 17. It was more like 20 hours out of 35 hours of straight IMC. It was a lot. I mean, we were in the shit. Jumbo liners were canceling the flights. They were canceling flights right and left and we're in it. But we were kind of dodging it and doing all the things and requested different altitudes. That was so badass.
1: Totally badass. So we
0: needed to kill 40 hours for my instrument rating. So we're like... Let's go somewhere that's got good food and sunshine.
1: We went to Louisiana.
0: We went to Louisiana <laughs> where we have some really great friends. God, we laughed our asses off. <laughs> we took a day off of flying to do nothing but eat. Literally every hour and a half, we went to a different restaurant. They literally did tour de la Louisiana. <laughs> uh-huh. We got the boat We got the we got, How do they say it? <laughs> I'm probably chopping it bad.
1: We got the po' boys, the, we po got the boys. jambalaya.
0: We, oh, God.
1: Shrimp and grits. Shrimp and grits.
0: Gator. We had a gator.
1: Yeah, gator. They took nuggets. us to the swamp. We went to the swamp. We got to
0: see a gator and a beaver looking thing, beaver rat thing.
1: Uh, a nutria.
0: A nutria.
1: It's like, It looks like a huge, uh, uh, huge muskrat.
0: As we were on our way through the swamp, my mom made the comment that uh what was really interesting she said this is God's septic tank. She made that comment, I remember thinking that's a real interesting thing. And and how many times did we cross over the Mississippi when we uh were flying in? I mean that thing is like a snake. It just
1: Yeah we crossed the Mississippi several times on the way in. Uh-huh. In um, the little airport between uh, Bat- Baton Rogue. Bat- <laughs> Baton Rogue. Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Um.
0: But so mom made the comment that it was, it was God's septic tank. And what's really interesting is while we were out of this swamp area, we learned about something. Well, you knew about it, but I had not known. And I'm surprised I did not know seeing as how I've done a lot of work in the LNG industry, liquid natural gas industry. But there are these things called salt domes. Some of them are thousands of feet deep into the earth, thick salt, they, they scoot, and, and the salt is pushed upwards in between layers of sediment, we learned. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but what's interesting is they shoot, shoot out the salt with water and then they fill them with things like petroleum and liquid natural gas and all these different...
1: Different chemicals. All and,
0: sorts of different things. I mean, really, and, they use it as a storage, like yeah, a holding and tank. S- and
1: some of these domes can be uh, five miles across. These are freaking massive, huge caverns in the earth that... Nobody gives a second thought. You know, we we hear a lot about, like, the National Petroleum Reserve. Most of the National Petroleum Reserve is stored in these salt domes in Louisiana. Yep. And now we have uh, uh, a feeble-minded POTUS. POTUS. Sitting in the White House that has sold most of our National Petroleum Reserve to who? That Chinese government.
0: Right. But what's really interesting is as we're talking about these salt domes, as we're researching them, that, I, I, that, that has all the cream cheese. I wanted that one because of all the cream cheese. Walter, go lay down. God, it cannot be a podcast episode without Walter clacking around, I swear. Walter, right? good boy. So um, we, lo- we were talking about it, and I'm like, well, what is salt? Salt is a purifier. It's a filter. If you think about hot tubs and pools and everything,
1: Everything is built up with salt.
0: Saline. I mean, salt. That's what it is. And so I was thinking about how mom says, you know, that, you know, the swamp is God's septic system. And then I'm thinking about how ironic is it that there are all these salt domes, literally, you know, 500 feet under the topsoil or less in some cases Mm
1: -hmm.
0: where these swamps are.
1: And all that water, like all the Uh water in the Mississippi River it's filtered through those bios, bayous, through those salt domes.
0: It's literally filtered. It's and literally it's not just a Louisiana. filtration system.
1: Yeah, but it's, you know, Louisiana has them, Texas has them, you know, they're all along the Gulf Coast.
0: Other countries have other them. Countries Iran have them. has a really big one. But then the thing is, is that we hijacked them and filled them with other shit. So now they don't filter. Right Now the salt isn't there to filter. It isn't there to do its job. No wonder Hurricane Katrina comes through. And the place smells like a damn toilet for the next however many years. Because we obliterated all the salt that was there to purify. I mean, I don't know. We're projecting. I'm projecting this. But to me, it makes sense.
1: Totally. And, you know, I think, um, you know, like those salt domes, you know, Just reading about them a little bit, you know, they're, um, to use the term that they use in one of the articles, right? They're, they're impenetrable. They're like, they're safe to put stuff in, you know?
0: But if you wanted to, if you wanted to be a terrorist, that would be what you'd target. Yeah. Think about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not giving any ideas to psychopaths out there, but I guess, you know, but I think what's really weird is the fact that we think we're doing so good on, you know, we're um, protecting nature, climate change, all the things. Really, we're fucking up everything we touch. Damn near.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, look at those windmills out across. What are the? What is the purpose of those things? What do they serve? I mean, do they really actually produce any energy for this landmass that they take up? And the second part of that is, and this will tie into the conversation about the projects the ghettos, thugs, etc. cetera, you know, we say, oh, you know, that, that everybody, um, you know, everybody is, is, is hurting for real estate and this and that and whatever. But the truth of the matter is our, the global elites, our government strategically stuck people in high rise cities where they have no other they're all trapped in there together. But truly, if you fly across the United States, there is plenty of space for everybody to have an acre of property. Every family in the entire United States could have probably, I'm i am just tossing a number out there, but probably an acre of land. At least. There is so much open space. I mean, we act like, you know, everybody is... Um, stuck and homeless and all these various things but that's a, that's a creation of our own government our own government created that environment by things like the projects and this is what we were ultimately going to get to as you know we made a call we wanted to go to louisiana for good food we wanted to go for jambalaya we had friends that lived in Gonzales, halfway in between the two major cities and as we're sitting in amarillo The night before we made that last long trek, we see on the news that there were 10 shootings in a single night, murders, deaths, in New Orleans that day. Right. Which was two days after Christmas. And so we say, well, maybe we don't need to go to New Orleans for good food. We'll just, you know, get the flair and the flavor from where, you know, our friends live. Right. And I hadn't been to New Orleans since Hurricane Katrina had hit, a few months after Hurricane Katrina had hit. And the thing is, is when we think about these places where there's just this immense crime and we look back on historically what has happened, the government slash global elites, they, we call them on this podcast, intentionally created these environments where it would proliferate, like they were all put together rather than allowing them to, the idea was, Oh, we'll create the projects for them and they can all live together and then they can um, you know, be with their own and have, you know, growth and prosperity and the best chance of success. Truth of the matter is, and I see this a lot when we have these schools, right, that are for troubled youth. What do we do with the troubled youth? We segregate them. Yep. And don't allow them to be with the other students and we say that's to help them out so that they're with the other troubled youth right right so with the other dunce caps so that they don't have to feel stupid with the general populace right it's exactly what we did with the projects we, mm-hmm. we built a holding tank and said all oh, you have to stay there when the reason that that was really created was because the rich white global elites did not want to actually deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so they put it over to the side where they wouldn't have to. And it allowed the victim mentality to continue. Correct. Whereby if we had actually just put them out with everybody, co-mingled with everyone, the survival of the fittest Darwinism, if you will, would rise. And Hey, you know, (laughs) the strong survive and the weak don't. But instead, we play these games and we still play these games where we try to baby everybody and put everybody together. What does it do? It worsens the victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And um, then it creates a subculture within that of hierarchy. Right. I mean, it's
1: awful. It's awful. It's terrible. You know, I, I flew up in Alaska for 20 years. And, you know, every native village in Alaska is a ghetto. Every Indian reservation in the United States of America is a ghetto. The difference is, you know, and like, you know, in the huge ghettos in the cities, it's all the same. You've been to, if you've been to one, you know, if you've been to one Native Alaska village, you've been to all of them. Mm -hmm. If you've been to one Indian reservation, you've been to all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've been to one ghetto, whether it's in Boston, New York City, New Orleans, Chicago, you've been to every single ghetto in the country. And so, you know, what has happened is, you know, people love free shit. You know, you get, uh, you know, elected representatives go to the, you know, the reservations, they go to the villages, they go to ghettos, and they promise people free shit, free handouts for this, free handouts for that, free health care, free education. But
0: what has given people shit free ever done except create an entitled lazy mentality?
1: Exactly. So... What that does I'm is... I'm talking even with teenagers. Even with teenagers. Across the board. You know, if you're handed everything in life and you don't have to work for it, you have no reason to get up and, and, and do anything in the morning. Nor so, what do, do, you, do you
0: appreciate, do? maintain, or respect anything you have. You and, let it go to shit.
1: And, you know, this is one of the things that I had trouble with, you know, when I was working up in Alaska is, you know, I look around at the stuff that's going on and, you know, these people have a false, self, false sense of pride in their communities. They're proud of where they live. Dude, you live in a freaking shithole. Open your eyes. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, get a job. Do something with your life.
0: They don't have any jobs?
1: No, really. it's the complete welfare state. It's, you know, you look at any, any ghetto, any reservation, any Alaska village out there. This is what socialism is. It's free shit. Don't have to get out of, there's no, if you have, don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, you lay around, you sleep halfway through the day, you uh, abuse drugs, you use alcohol, you know, sex is a recreational sport. The more babies you make, the more money you get. There's no reason to, uh, you know, not have more children because the more kids you grind out, the bigger your fucking paycheck is every month. It's stupid. And then now you've got more kids living in the same squalor that you're living in. And what's interesting is these people don't realize how bad they have it. If the money, if the government shut the money off, there's no more money. And they had to go out and actually work for a living. They'd piss and moan and bitch about it. They'd have a friggin' shit fit. Their heads would explode.
0: But that's but that's the thing. But
1: at the end of the day, they'd have to do something to survive. If you have to actually do something to survive, then all of a sudden, well, shit, the house I live in is actually worth something. I have to pay to maintain it. I need to take pride in my home if I want it to look nice. Right now, it's a shithole. You know, there's holes punched in the walls. The fucking windows are broken out. My house is no good. I'm going to just, you know, fill out this piece of paperwork and they'll build me a new house. I'll just move my fucking shit from one shithole into another brand new house in six months, my new house looks just like the old one, but this it doesn't, is like, it's not worth anything. You give
0: a teenager a <clears throat> laptop, teenager has no value of what the laptop is worth. Teenager didn't have to work for the laptop. Teenager doesn't take care of the laptop because teenager thinks laptops just keep
1: coming off trees. Right. Through the front door. Teenager needs a job to pay for the next broken laptop.
0: For certain. <laughs> so that there's appreciation and value and understanding of what... All of that is, but I mean, I think that's the point is that this ties into, you know, I hate to say it, but Darwinism, it's like, you know, if you are constantly, it's like feeding the ducks at the pond, right? You feed the little ducks at the pond, the morsels of bread and they say, don't feed the ducks. Well, don't feed the ducks because the ducks don't learn how to survive. The ducks don't learn how to work for it. So the ducks become weaker and weaker and weaker and the weaker ducks continue to proliferate. And then pretty soon you've got a pond full of ducks that don't know how to survive unless they're handed out food from the locals or whatever the visitors. And this is the same situation and same scenario here. And then you try to take those ducks and put them out in regular functioning society, and nice. they have to work either a hundred times harder to figure shit out and survive, or they die. Right. But you know what's funny is today we almost went to the Indian casino for a drink and I just decided it was just going to be too much noise and things I can't handle it smoke and whatever I just not my not my bag but you told me something interesting which is that they make more in the first two are you taking salami with cream cheese and pepperoni and dunking it in queso
1: you want to try it no
0: you don't is it good
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh wow But but they make more in two months. They make enough in two, the first two months of the year to pay for the entire year. The entire year. And yet we're looking at doing retribution and shit. But you know what's funny? These are the savviest of the subculture. Mm -hmm. That's the savviest of the subculture. Because remember, we took the subculture, we took the culture, we segregated them over here, and then they hierarchied.
1: Well, yes and no. Okay. It's not the native corporations or the native tribes that build the casinos and run them. There's professional casino organizations, Haraz. Um There's another one that...
0: Who are they owned by?
1: The Mafia.
0: No shit. Italian?
1: Yeah. No kidding. Mafia runs everything. Anyway. We need
0: to have that conversation <laughs> and we have to talk about UFOs.
1: <laughs> so, but, you know, there's... there's you know, professional casino organizations, I'll go to a tribe and say, hey, we want to build a casino on your land. We'll give you 10%. They've got nothing to lose. They get a big check every month. They lease the land from the native tribe. They give the native tribe a stipend. But the, the casino company, they take the cream. The tribe gets the leftovers. The tribe doesn't realize that all they're getting is the fucking leftovers so when you go to a restaurant and you get a really good meal but you don't finish it and that leftovers that goes to the fucking dumpster, mm-hmm. that's what the native tribes get is the fucking leftovers that go to the dumpster. Really? The fine dining, the stuff that the, the, the big people want, the casinos want, the big, the big time operators want, they take that off the top and they fucking go fat, dumb, and happy.
0: No the shit. The natives
1: get the leftovers. They so just, see,
0: here's just another example then of how
1: it's structured. Here's another example of the ghetto mentality. Yeah, they get, you know, every, every native in this particular tribe gets maybe $500 more a month. They think they've struck the fucking gold mine. They think they got, they're striking it rich. They're not striking it rich. They're just perpetuating what's already going on, which is they're allowing somebody else with deeper pockets, a bigger vision, better management skills. They keep the natives drunk, drugged out, grinding out babies on welfare. Yeah, they drive jacked up trucks. Yeah, they get a few hundred extra bucks in their pocket every month. But that's not getting them ahead. It's keeping them where they...
0: And what value and quality of life do you really have like that? There's no value or quality of that at all. I know for me, when I'm working hard and I'm checking off a list and I'm accomplishing things that I'm setting for myself in life, I feel a sense of purpose, direction, happiness, hope. I mean, all these, all these mental, like, you know, attributions that come from all of this work that you do, these people don't get to experience that.
1: They don't. And, um, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. I see it, I watch it, I observe it, but it's like, you know, what value does that life really have?
0: Well, and what they show on TV with Alaska is, you know, the wilderness men who are sustaining and surviving on the...
1: It's a crock of shit. It's made for TV. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist.
0: No, I don't. I mean, I think there probably are a handful of those rarities. I mean, I've you know been in Alaska quite a bit myself and have seen the the slums. Really, I mean, it's very. It's all ghetto. I mean, the wanigans that are literally trailers with these. I mean, it looks like full meth compounds in some places and stuff. I it mean, is. It is just not what people think the great Alaskan wilderness really is in a lot of places or the majority of places. Um, but to, to tie back into this, um, this idea, you know, one of the things I had mentioned to you that I spent a lot of time in my twenties, um, in the NFL world, uh, living in San Diego, I had a lot of friends that played in the NFL and Um, hearing their individual stories about their lives and how they got there. And some of them came from money and went to, you know, high end universities and and made their way to the NFL. But the majority of them are from ghetto towns where football was life. And if they did not succeed in football, they were going to wind up in a gang. I mean, this is the truth of the matter. And, and it's sad to think about that because, you know, we were listening to some Tupac earlier And it's like, you know, on some level, you know, that the oppression that they experience is a creation of, of the global elites and it's intentional. And it's almost like this drama unfolding in this world where we're constantly trying to assist. But the truth of the matter is, is like, if you literally dispersed and obliterated and bombed the town. I mean, bomb the projects, just nuke it out of the earth. And all those people had to go mingle in society. Suddenly you don't get to be in a fucking gang because your neighbor's going to work eight to five, doing whatever they're doing with their plumbing job or whatever. And you're going to be hard pressed to find someone else that wants to hang out in your gang because they got to make their rent. And so then the natural Darwinism of things would unfold. Either you step the fuck up or you step the fuck out. That's it. There's two options, up or out.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: But um, it's... In, in
1: the real world, you know, there is no room for gangs or ghetto or bullshit.
0: There's no room for that. People should be busy trying to figure out where their next meal is coming from, in from the sense of like hunting, gathering preparing, <laughs>
1: like, exactly. you know,
0: but, I mean, if this is something my mom and I were talking about when we were out in New Orleans is that, you know, or in Louisiana, uh, at one point Trump had said, why are we giving everybody debit cards? We should be giving them boxes of produce with meat and things in it where they have to actually learn a skill, which is cooking, not drive uh-huh. through the McDonald's, not pick up your, you know, whatever you're getting from the PX and doing, that kind of shit, the frozen goods or whatever. Give them food boxes. Give them food boxes to learn a skill. Exactly. How to cook, how to survive, how to eat. I mean, I really think that they do experience what we believe they experience, but I believe they experience it because it's intentional from our global elite system. It's totally intentional. I mean, you look at, you look at even the school districts. I mean, this is a shit show look at the school districts. I actually read a book on this. It is freaking fascinating. I think it was called dumbing us down was the, was the book I read on, on the kind of indoctrination camp. They set the lines literally for the school districts on the line of wealth in each state. There is no fucking chance that a little black boy from the projects is going to go to school With the wealthy rich man's kid, even if it is two blocks over that, that high end neighborhood with that big fucking fence is, they make damn sure your kid's going to stay in the projects. The little black boy or whatever it is, is going to stay in the projects. And I'm not saying this to sound, you know, like there's this, um, race agenda or anything like that. I could give a fuck what color people are. It does not matter to me. But when you start to really strip it down and just look at a map. Just plot it out from the top down. Like, look at it from the aerial high level, and look at the way things were structured and set out. Look at overlay the school districts mm-hmm. on the wealthiest communities in states like Illinois, where Chicago is, and New York, and Louisiana, and all these things. California. It becomes fucking evident real fast. Yeah. You know, is. somebody from Pacific Heights in San Francisco, children are not going to the poor district school.
1: Absolutely not.
0: Period. You know, and we say, oh, well, we need to help them. We need to help them. We need to, how we need to fucking help them is by truly getting rid of segregation. I'm not talking fucking Martin Luther King shit. I'm talking obliterate the fucking projects, put them all in society. Give them their first year.
1: They want, they want everybody wants to be fucking treated equal.
0: That would be equal.
1: Trade it, make it equal.
0: That would be equal. And the thing is, is like, I don't have the experience of driving down a street as a, a black man where I'm fearful that I'm going to get shot. Right? Like, I don't have that experience. I don't have fear of, of being afraid of the white cop that's going to beat me down. or I don't have any of that. I also think that that has gotten a really bad fucking rap. I mean, a really bad rap. I think there are really good white cops out there. I think there are really good black cops out there. I think that's just a game. The whole color race agenda is a game. But I can say, you know, my parents made strategic decisions, and we talked about it a little bit last podcast, to put us into a situation where we were living very rural, very rudimentary. I did not have shit. I did not have shit. So I feel like I didn't even have a pot to piss in. I did not have a flushing toilet. There are people in the projects that had more than I did. You know what I'm saying? Like they could flush their fucking toilet. I could not do that. And so I feel like I do have some perspective on this that isn't just like the, oh, I am white privileged. Do I feel that I have worked my ass off and that I probably... Was able to work my ass off easier, maybe, than some people that were segregated into these projects? Yeah, probably so. I do think that is the thing, but it's not my fucking fault, first of all. Is it my problem? I don't know. I don't know what my obligation to the system is because I know I had to work my own way out of my own shit.
1: You know, I don't think um, any of us are, are obligated to anybody's system. You know, if you work your ass off, you start your own company, or even if you go to work for, you know, Jimmy Bob's plumbing service and you're become a good plumber and you get paid good money. You know, if you've got a good skill set, you've educated yourself, you've taken the time to, you know, uh, pull yourself up, you don't owe anybody's shit.
0: So I will say I had Mel Pender on this podcast. He's an Olympian black guy from the projects. And he, this was quite a few episodes ago, maybe, I don't know, 30 episodes ago or something. He talked about how, you know, he goes out and he speaks now to these kids in these schools and things like that. And he tells them, no, one's going to help you quit looking for that handout. Also, no, one's going to hurt you. Quit thinking you're a victim, knock that shit off and start living your life what do you want? What do you want to achieve? Go back and listen to the podcast episode. It's so good. I mean, he really talks about it from his true life perspective. I mean, he had, you know, the granddaddy that walked to the, um, to the, uh, what was it? He, I think he was from Detroit or something, but he had the granddaddy that walked to the, 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 what do they make the cars? The the factory. the factory, you know, five miles in the morning left, you know, an hour and a half early to make it there and got there on time and never was a day late in his life and all that shit and created a life for them, you know? Right. And, and we've talked about this before too. And I see this a lot and we're talking about this raising boys right now is that, you know, uh, a difficult world makes strong men. An easy world makes weak men. True. And what we're seeing right now is this generation, no no harm, no foul on you or me, but we're seeing this generation of boys in particular and women and, and I'll say girls who are freaking loose ass moral walking around half fucking naked thinking sex is the answer to get what they want in life, being gold diggers, quote unquote, is like the cool thing. And we've got this generation of boys that is lazy as fuck, entitled as fuck, does not say please and thank you, does not know how to do a damn thing. You ask them to take out the trash they look at you like you just asked them to kill the fucking dog. It's right. like, excuse me, what? Uh They either play stupid like they don't fucking hear you or they get pissed off. It's like at that age, I had three fucking jobs. Legitimately. Uh-huh. I mean, what the fuck is happening? This is like the complete breakdown of our society and then you go over to china right china is shipping people over here to learn how to fly they're learning how to fly military style i mean i'm talking full blown multi-engine badass shit like they're they're teaching their people true skills what are we teaching our kids how to fucking watch tiktok videos on how to prank your parents yeah we are so- dumbing down the next generation,
1: Weird, doomed.
0: God, I mean, literally like when one of our boys, when we ask them to do something, they look at me like, I literally want to say, wake up. Okay. Right? You are going to be a man per the government in however many years, right? Like my dad was just telling me, his dad used to drop him off at the gas station that my uncle owned to work at, crank on cars on his way to work. Dad cranked on the cars and he got picked up on my grandpa's way home. That was his life at 15 or 14 right. years old, you know? And now it's like they don't even think about having to get a job until they're, what, 22? Because, you know, they can be on their parents' insurance until then. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.